Hey, Sam. Another week. Yeah. How you doing, Chris? Not too bad out here. Yeah. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. So I am waiting on, anxiously waiting, I should say, on the presumed new MacBook Pros on Monday. So new Apple events. It's been speculated on for months, if not years, when these new MacBook Pros will come out. And I'm, I'm excited. I'm thinking about completely changing my entire desk configuration. So right now I have an iMac, which is okay. pushing on probably four years now. I think it's a 2017 model. So there are there are times when I'm when I'm hitting it hard and it just says, nope, not going to do any more work for a few minutes. <laughs> and I yep, just get yep. the spinning spinning wheel and I'm just I'm stuck. And it's it hasn't happened with the client meeting or anything like that yet. But man, it's frustrating when you're in the zone coding and it just grinds to a halt and there's nothing you can do about it except get a cup of coffee and come back and it's it's pretty frustrating so i'm yeah. excited to, to get get set up do you have a laptop of any sort or are you 100 on the imac i do have a laptop but frankly i'm not doing really any movement or traveling you know at all you know due to covid and and such so it's really mainly on the the imac and i'm being a little bit optimistic that things are going to open up my work behavior is going to change eventually might look at some sort of office space outside of the house or at a coffee shop or something like that as a possibility. So I'm, I'm thinking that mobile is going to be good. And that's why I want to go to a MacBook setup with a monitor and just kind of go that way. So I can just take all my work with me on one, one device. Yeah, that's what I'm running out here. I used to do the iMac thing as well. And then I had a little MacBook Air back mm-hmm. uh, when those were way underpowered. And I just hated the two machines. Yeah. So now the MacBooks are powerful enough that they can run with a couple external monitors and everything's gravy. So I, I love it. Exactly. And when I notice when we do go on a trip and I take the laptop with me, I mean, it's a lot of that stuff syncs up through iCloud and obviously all of our, my code bases and Git. And so it's easy to kind of sync it, but it would be nice just to be able to just grab and go and not have to deal with any of that because it's never quite the same. You know, there's always something that's slightly off between the two computers. And so just have it. Yeah. Uh, you forgot to sync a dot file or exactly something like that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. Hopefully it gets announced and it, it sounds like if the rumors are true, they're going back to basics. They're getting rid of the touch bar. They're bringing back the the mag uh, plugin. So like all the stuff that you really liked <laughs> that they yeah, got rid I, of over I heard the years. even an HDMI port. Yes. Yeah. Some, some stuff like that. So I'm, I'm excited because that's, that's the MacBook pro that I remember back in the day. And so we'll see, you know, you never know until they actually announce. So I think that's on Monday. So I'm excited to, to wait and see what happens with that. Awesome. Yeah. How about you? Well, I turned 40 over the weekend. So that was a little bit of a, a milestone, I suppose. Congratulations. That's great. I'm a, I'm a couple of years before you or behind you. So I'm, I'm looking for that. Looking forward to that in a couple of years. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It was fun. We we planned something big back uh months ago, you know, when COVID wasn't a thing or was at least dying out. Everybody was vaccinated. So my whole extended family, we were all gonna go down to Mexico. Which oh, we've wow. never done a family vacation like that before, but thought, you know, good excuse, let's let's do it. I'm the oldest. How many people would that have been? Well, roughly? you know, I should probably know this, but it was like twenty. <laughs> oh yeah. Nice size group. Okay. Yeah. I've got two sisters. They both have families and then my parents and of course my family. 
yeah, it would have been fun. It was kind of exciting, but COVID's back, baby. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I think that's the most frustrating thing for me is we, we were kind of in that same deal where we actually had a couple of parties this summer. They were outside. Everyone was vaccinated. And we're like, okay, things are slowly coming back. And to have that taken away again is just, I'm ready for it to be done. <laughs> I'll just say that. <laughs> exactly. No, I'm I'm over it as well. But but that's okay. We still had a great weekend. My wife and I got a babysitter for an entire day. We went fly fishing. So that was fun. Yeah. And then we cooked a nice dinner at home with the boys and ate it at a table that I've been building for way, way too long, as my wife will tell you. So the the, the dinner table that you had dinner on was something you actually built. It was. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Nice. So, nice. so that was kind of fun. Um, yeah. Yeah. And something to be proud of and something tangible that you put out in the world. That's great. Yeah. I dabble a little bit in, in woodworking. I mean, I'm terrible, but, but a table is <laughs> pretty hard to screw well, up, right? Hey, is, the, is, <laughs> it, is it still standing? Then I think you're, you're ahead of me. I'll say that. It's, <laughs> I don't, I'd go. have to check, I'd have to check the instructions. How many legs does this thing get? It's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, nice. What's going on on the, on the business front? Well, I got the the email the other day that textretailer.com is renewing. It's been a full year since I've registered the, that, that domain name. A little bit more context, it's been uh, about a month after I registered the domain name. That's when I actually got started coding. So last November, first paying customer came in May. And it's, I don't know, it's the year anniversary. It's I'm struggling with it a little bit. Honestly, it, it feels like I haven't accomplished everything that I wanted to do in that year. But when you kind of break down those different, those different months, and those milestones, like it hasn't really been a full fledged project for a full year, even though it feels like it does when the domain name comes back up. I'm curious, did you do like kind of a retrospective? I mean, if you asked me to break down my past 12 months, I'd, I'd have a hard time doing it without looking back at the calendar and, and commits and things like that. I looked back at the commit because I couldn't remember when I first committed the first block of code. And I couldn't remember if, if I started writing the project before I had the domain name, but it was actually the flip side. I, I'm still juggling Textiful, the other business. And so I think it was one of those things where I knew I had this idea of what I wanted to build. And I wanted to kind of get the naming and kind of the a rough idea of what the project would look like before I started coding. So I think I was back in the day where I might have even had a landing page on some other domain just out there, kind of testing the waters of is there is there legs with this concept before I actually started coding. So I might have been involved with the project a little bit more than that that than that that year. But it definitely feels like, I don't know, it's weird. It's you, you wake up one morning and you're like, I've only been working on this thing for a few months, <laughs> it feels like. But then it's like, no, I've really, this has been in my headspace for for over a year now. And as far as a retrospective, I don't know, man. I, I'm Frankly, I'm, I'm so deep in a refactor right now that I don't have any mental capacity for anything else, really. So I haven't taken the time to, to break it down and see where I'm at. But, but I do know. it was enough that you said you wanted to be further. I mean, where, where did you hope to be? That's the challenge with this project is I, I still define it as like a side project that I do full time. So I don't have real goals and it just, it's more of a gut feeling, you know? And so I, I, I have a tendency to compare this project with, to compare text retailer with Textiful and the numbers are light years ahead of what Textiful did in the first year, you know, in the first few months. I mean, the growth is just as far as a pure revenue number, it's doing much, much better. There's a lot of differences between the two products. Textiful, I built while I was working full-time, so I wasn't devoted to it full-time when I first started off. 
you know, so there's a lot of differences there, but I think that's kind of the benchmark that I use. Ultimately, I would love for text retailer, the revenue to replace the revenue that's happening with Textiful. So that's that's kind of the benchmark that I have long term. I have much bigger plans. I think Text Retailer has a much more has much more potential than Textiful ever did. But yeah, I, that's the next thing I need to do. I think I, what I want to do is get done with V1, kind of get a marketing plan together, and that's going to determine some real concrete goals that I can go around. Right now, I'm just trying to get the product quote unquote finished, <laughs> which is, it never is. But that's that's my main focus right now. Oh, do I hear you on that? And so that that's where you are on the the deep refactor. We talked about that a bit previously. So that that's still going. It is, and I I see the light at the end of the tunnel. Things are starting to feel better. Like I'm seeing some actual proof of concepts that I have that I can that I can show actual clients to. As far as here's what the vision is, and they're pretty excited about the sneak peek that they've gotten. Overall, it just feels cleaner. You know, it's only been a year, but to be able to take all the the learnings that I have from talking to merchants and what their needs are just gives me a better understanding of how to structure concepts around e-commerce, like the ordering, what a product should be and and things as far as the, the database goes. And so the database feels cleaner. The, the direction feels cleaner. The code feels a little bit more manageable. So it just, I feel like I'm wrapping my arms around the concept and taking a second look at it, which, which feels really good. But yeah, it's kind of going back to the, the year in review, the, the scope of text retailer has changed. And I think that's the thing that I've, that I've struggled with is if I was just setting out to build what I originally wanted to build, that was done, you know, a while back. But since talking to the merchants and seeing what their needs actually are, my scope has creeped over the last year. So it's this weird thing where like, I feel like I'm behind, but I've also have a much better understanding of the problem that I'm trying to solve for these merchants. And that's, it's frankly, it's just a bigger product than it, than it was when I originally built it. Yeah. I mean, from the outside looking in, I remember the early days when we talked and when we were back talking about it, it was designed as a product to replace the revenue from Textiful, right? You know, that was the goal. And if I recall, there wasn't a lot beyond that. And now I'm hearing a, a subtle but important shift in everything you're saying, which is I'm, I'm understanding the space. I'm talking to merchants and this thing could be a lot bigger. The next benchmark might be replacing the revenue, but we've got places to go after that too. Absolutely. And, and I think. To me, that's the bare minimum of success. If I can write a, you know, create a product that replaces the revenue from my previous product, that's kind of how I viewed Textiful. The first first concept is the goal with that was to replace the salary from my day job, so I could quit my job, work on it full time. Succeeded that, and then some. And so my goal with this next project is to do the same. It's that stair step approach. And wanting to replace that revenue. And, and then I then I have a little bit more freedom. You know, I, I can do something with Textiful, whether it's sell it off or just kind of keep it, put it into silent mode. There's a lot more flexibility. There's less dependence on that um, revenue because you obviously have another source. Or you can keep them both and just be diversified, which is nice. So, but I agree. I think after, I mean, if you just look at the average revenue between the two products in themselves, per average revenue per user, I think Textiful is sitting around $30. Whereas text retailer, it's, it's above 150, <laughs> you know? So <laughs> when you start doing the math on that, it's like, if I have a hundred merchants, that's an amazing business. And it's not that hard to, in theory, find a hundred merchants when there's what a million and a half on Shopify alone. So there's a lot of people in the e-commerce space and you're right. The market is just absolutely ginormous. And that makes you think a little bit. That's exciting. It is. But it also is, is 
hard to properly scope the project. I, I try to think of it as as singles and doubles. You know, get those singles and doubles, move move around the bases rather than swinging for the home run. And it's going to be important for you, I would imagine, to make sure that you are continuing to build on what you've already got and release and bring more customers into the fold to keep direction moving properly versus just build, 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 and then spread. Right. I, I think that's my the biggest trap that I could see falling into right now is obviously I'm in the middle of this big refactor. We have some some major major features that we're going to be releasing. And I'm excited about those, but I really am trying to get myself to be like, okay, once those are all out, you have the core concept of something that you can start marketing heavily on. You have the the vision and there's enough there to build a marketing concept around. And so I don't want to get into that trap of feature, 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 feature. I need to start moving into that marketing space and really start selling what I have now or after this, after this revamp. So I, that's, that's the one challenge that I can see because building stuff is so fun. That's that's where I get my joy. And I love building new stuff. I get, I love getting that, that, you know, hit from showing it to merchants and like, this is the coolest thing ever. We're going to use it in, you know, I actually had a conversation this morning where I was showing a new feature and they're like, yeah, we like this for text messaging, but we're going to take this and put it into our email campaigns as well. And I'm like, that's cool. And so bridging beyond even just the text messaging space with some of the features that were that were rolling out, it's so it's it's a, it's a lot of exciting stuff. It is exciting. Yeah, I mean, I I'm kind of feeling the same thing. You know, when I said the singles and doubles are important, I, I was also talking to myself there because I too am, am still heads down building. You know, we have some beta users, but we don't have what I would call V1 yet. And part of that, or maybe this is just my excuse, is that we have other software products in this space. You know, so we have customers who we intend to market a pipe tech project to that are using some of our other products. And the space and the business domain is pretty complicated and requires a lot of features in order to be a viable product. You know, that MVP doesn't really exist because if it doesn't do this one thing, for example, it's not going to fly. People just, it'll be a deal breaker. And unfortunately there's, you know, a dozen of those one things that it has to do. So we are doing the same thing. We're building, building, build. We're getting good beta feedback from the customers that are able to use little bits and pieces of it, but we don't have anybody fully on board utilizing the whole platform yet. We're going through that onboarding process. The good news is, on, on my end anyway, that my job shift that I've kind of been really focused on and hired people specifically for this product to help advance is happening. You know, the customer success person I've got on board is killing it. He is taking tickets on his own now. He's writing up some documentation. I mean, just yesterday, I spent the entire day focused on roadmap and he crushed like four different tickets with varying levels of complexity. And gosh, that felt good. So you had a whole day to throw to strategy? That's pretty amazing. I, well, not quite, but yeah. <laughs> but I had most of the day too. I had to sign off on taxes and do some other things. Uh, sure. But, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> But I had a whole, I don't know, four or five hour block to focus on strategy. And that's the first time in years that's happened. Yeah, because you you were like me, especially when it came to the customer side, you're wearing all the hats before you you were taking all the calls, all the emails, the selling, you know, if that was happening, that was that all fell on your shoulders, right? That's right. And that was my biggest 
problem is that that all the inbound and urgent inbound was just completely disrupting any flow I might hope to have. You know, the context switching was killing me. I love talking to customers, but I'd prefer to do it on my own time or at least be able to block out appropriate times for that. That's so true, though. I mean, I look at days where I have, you know, maybe three meetings spread out throughout the day and and they might be on different topics. One might be talking to a customer. One might be, you know, something on the marketing side that I'm doing internally. But that that context switching at the end of the day, it just it it's so draining and that not let alone the, the the ability to not get into that groove of focus, you know, especially if you're doing deep work. That's out the window if your meetings are spread out throughout the day. But just being switching from one concept to another and the brain power that that takes, it's it's draining. Yeah, I, I find the same thing. I mean, I got reasonably good at handling it when it came to scheduled meetings. Although certainly there was plenty of time burned after a meeting and prepping for the next meeting. But I could kind of handle, hey, I've got a block here. The biggest issue I had was that during that block, any inbound could happen. And I mean, I was almost getting twitchy. So I wasn't allowing myself to get into the zone because I just knew any minute something's going to happen and I'm going to have to attend to, you know, the support issue or an inbound sales lead or whatever it might be. So, right. Right. You, you, you always had one foot out the door, so to speak, waiting for that, that incoming thing that, or the, the knock on the door that could happen. And, and yeah, that's, you're never fully into what you're working on at that point. Yeah, it was kind of like sleep training the kids. You know, we'd, we'd lay down in bed, everything would be good, but I knew at any moment now right. uh, they'd start crying. <laughs> I can, I, I gotcha. Yeah, let's uh, say no more. I gotcha. <laughs> but it's happening. So I'm, I'm That's super good. excited about that, you know, and, and we've ramped up the development team as well. We've had a few more growing pains there. You know, it's a little bit easy with easier with customer success because it's just he and I, and I had owned that completely before. So transferring that knowledge seems pretty doable. Whereas in the dev world, you know, we had, we have a lead developer who's still very involved in the project and he owned the technical side. So a little bit of a trickier situation, kind of a little more of a give and take for him to let go of some of those pieces. And it, and to be clear, it's not him. I mean, he, he's great. It, it's me. You know, it's I've depended on him and I've gone to him for all the architecture decisions, all of the, you know, tricky implementation details that need to get nailed down. And he and I worked so well together that bringing other people into the fold is a little bit more challenging, giving them giving them proper ownership of the things they're working on so that they can succeed. You know, I find myself saying a lot of Hey, let's talk to Ryan about that. And and that needs to stop. Right. Not not necessarily complicate things, but just to to give some context, Ryan, the lead developer, is not co-founder. So it's not like they're your technical co-founder. They were they were an actual hire that just has a really key employee position, right? That's right. A hire who who is turned into a friend and who also has a very busy full-time job. Right. Right. And so that's a little bit different dynamic because if you guys were co-founders, it could be just much more of a, they own the technical stuff, but they're a co-founder, they're in it versus, and then you have the other side of the business. And then it's just a matter of, Hey, get your shop in order and make this thing work right. And then it can't, it still ultimately falls on you as the founder because everything is below you. It's all your responsibility ultimately. Right. And that's, that's, what's been kind of interesting is, you know, I mentioned 
allowing other people to take ownership. And, and in this case, it actually starts with me taking ownership, assign that ownership appropriately. And, and I had a great day yesterday. You know, we, I, I had a lot of the strategy stuff. I also met for two hours with one of the new devs and we hashed out some major details around uh, the final UX shifts we're making to the product. And I started it worried. You know, I started it saying, okay, we need to figure this out from Ryan. We need to ask how he had done this particular field mapping before. We need to know all these things. And Dev kind of turned around, turned it around on me and said, well, let's open up the code. Let's look at it. Let's dig in. And so that's exactly what we did. And it might have taken us a little bit longer, but it gave both of us a better understanding of the foundation that had been laid. And we came out of it feeling good about delivering this really complicated feature without Ryan's direct involvement. So that was nice. That's great. I mean, and, and that's always a fine balance, I think. And, and I'm, I'm hoping to get there eventually if I, if I ever expand the team of, of knowing just how much to rely on those key employees, because it, it's, it's a fine balance between they have ownership and giving them that autonomy versus completely removing yourself a hundred percent from the equation and just say, they're taking care of it. Go talk to them. And you as the founder have no idea what's happening on that side of the business. And that's a pretty dangerous place to be, especially when it comes to the software aspect, because that's what you're selling. <laughs> and so you need to have your you know finger on the pulse when it comes to that that area of development. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of coming to the conclusion that as a Solar solo founder, you must own and take responsibility for absolutely every aspect of the business. Nobody else has that stake that you do. And you can have the best people in the world, but you still have to have your finger on the pulse. And I, I let that go a little bit, not with the product, but with the development side of things. And so now I'm now I'm reeling it back. And, and I think ultimately that's going to be a good thing. That's so true. No, no amount of equity gifts or stock ownership, no matter what, no employee is going to care about your business to the same level that you as the founder do. And nor should they. That's exactly what I was going to chime in with. Nor should they. Nor should they. They're, they're, it's just, it's not their thing. And, and that's, that's perfectly fine. And I think that's what, what happens with a lot of not just software, but just businesses in general, where there's so many owners out there, they get angry with their, their employees with like, Oh, they're not showing up on Sundays, you know, and they're not doing this. And they're, they're not caring about the business as much as, as I do, as the owner does. It's like, well, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's to be expected. And to, to expect that out of your employees is just, it, it's unfair to them and it's unfair to you. It's just, it's not going to end well. Right. No, it's a, it's a tricky thing. But yeah, so we're we're marching on and I'm happy that this situation occurred and that we were able to really dig into it and kind of turn things around and and it gave me that realization now versus later. So, psyched about that. I really like the the hires that you've made recently because I think it it, it does two things for you. The 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 customer support person specifically is taking things off of your individual plate, which has to feel really, really good. So like you yourself can feel like you're moving faster or being able to get some more stuff done. And then it sounds like this dev team is helping you move the product forward faster. And so just you're you're kind of 
getting it on both fronts where both of those things should make you feel really good as the founder. They do, but you know what feels less good? <laughs> What's that? <laughs> the money that is flowing oh, out of my the bank money. account. <laughs> the <laughs> money. <laughs> this product is not making any money. Yet. <laughs> well, you know, simple solution to that, just never look at the bank accounts and then problem oh. solved and then you get all the feel goods. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, oh, there's, no, there's we, always a flip side, always. There is. And so what so we are now officially in a countdown to V1 launch and what that means is that we've got six paying customers that will be officially using the product in its entirety starting in the second week of November. So we'll, we'll bring them on, you know, I'll stagger that, but the first will come on in that second week of November and there's no going back from there. So you base you have a hard date then, like a hard set in stone for the most part, relatively settled date of when this this next phase is going to start. Yeah, we finally do. We've been building and building, and our deadlines and goals have been really driven by the scope of the product. I mean, get these things done and then move to the next. And at this point, we've got. Still some loose ends, of course, a million features that I'd like to build and that I consider absolutely 100% critical. We can't live without. But that said, they're not all going to happen because there is a date on the calendar and we're going to hit that date. So we've set a time. I think that that probably has so many implications. Like you said, I mean, not that you're going to do like a code freeze, but there's certain initiatives that you're just not going to start right now because you know you have all this other stuff coming down on that specific date. So I think that that calendar date kind of drives your decision, at least in the short term, of what you're going to be working on. Well, that's exactly what it does. I mean, and that's what I've been working backward for on this roadmap. You know, that's what I, I spent that block of time yesterday doing, saying, okay, these are the customers. I know them. I know exactly what their needs are. So this is when each customer is going to come on board, and this is exactly what needs to be working perfectly for them. And some of the things that are on the chopping block, feature-wise, that are in beta right now are really cool, and they're going to add a ton of value, and there are people who really want them, but they're not going to roll from dev to prod mid-November. We're going to keep building them. Well, and you, you have that that challenge of that first impression, you know, obviously they're familiar with the brand and they've decided to move forward with you, but you, you got to have those core pieces working because if you, if you've kind of tried to sell this new shiny thing, but the core doesn't work, that's not going to go well. <laughs> that's not a good first impression, you know, so to have that stuff in mind. And what I love is that because it's so, and I, I'm dealing with the same thing in the text retailer, you get to know these early customers so well not only what their goals are, but exactly what features they need. And so you can really tailor that roadmap down to the date based upon when that particular customer is rolling in. So if one of these guys is coming in in December, you can push off one of those features if they're the only one that's using it until late November, you know, <laughs> and get it in, 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 in production a few weeks before they actually roll on. I wish I could say I planned it this way, but <laughs> the six customers that are coming on are kind of a, a, a variety. They all do have different needs and they're representative of a different type of customer or kind of a customer persona that we hope to market to. So it, it just happened that way, but it, but the result is that they do need different features. And so we can we can stagger it and build toward that, but they all need that core and that core 
just like I'm sure in an e-commerce engine. I mean, that core is really critical and it, it just can't be missing pieces. You know, we can't build a three, three-legged table as we talked about it. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, there's just, there's just table stakes. It's things that people expect out of every platform in, in, in that particular industry. And if you don't provide those certain things, it, it really sets up, sends up a red flag and those, those are needed to happen. Now, now I'm curious about the, the date in November or that second week in November, when did you decide to make that switch from more of that's, that's the challenge before you, anyone has really true customers is you can just keep on building forever, you know, and build those cool things and never really quote unquote launch. When did you make that flip of like, okay, this is the actual calendar date. This is why we're doing this. How did that decision come about? For me, it went back to actually the decision that was made previously to hire and to ramp things. With the other products I've got, you know, it's a it's a profitable business and everything felt good and it would make it that much easier to just kind of keep humming along because the burn rate wasn't that high. But it was consuming a lot of time. And so it came down to okay, are we going for this or are we not? And once I decided to go for it and I hired people and we really ramped up the burn rate, frankly, but also also production. Then it came to, okay, how long is it going to take to get everybody really up and running and and feeling good about the product and understanding, I'm talking about the internal team, you know, understanding how we're going to work as a team to get this across the finish line. And I didn't put a timestamp on that because I didn't know how long it was going to take. I mean, that's something that was a little bit more, a little bit more scope driven, I guess, you know, we had to feel comfortable with people understanding the product and what they were building and who they were building it for. Once that happened, which really was recently, I mean, I would say it was in the last week and a half that I that I even started looking toward that. And then it was really solidified with that meeting I had yesterday. Then it was time to put a date on the calendar. So that was the tipping point for me to go from scope-driven, from getting everybody on board and able to build this thing, to deadline-driven. And of course, you know, I mean, the product is is there. You know, it's not like this is something that isn't going to work. It, it's a bit of a hairy goal, but it's not crazy. Right. Yeah. It's a reasonable goal. Yeah. Now, it's it's interesting because, I mean, we're kind of talking about scope-driven versus calendar-driven, but it's you made a conscious decision a few weeks ago when hiring that, like you said, you're going to flip the switch, turn it more into a business rather than just a product. And that provides some external pressures. You now have this this cash burn. And so you need, there's like a, a real thing that needs to be overcome and you need more revenue coming in the door. And I kind of contrast that to where I'm at right now, where I have the luxury of textables throwing off revenue. There's no real external pressure for me to deliver version one of text retailer faster because things are just comfortable right now. The only thing that's driving me is that internal pressure that I put on myself which can change day to day. I mean, it's like, <laughs> it's, it's just how I wake up in the morning and what, how I feel things are going. And until I say, we're now going to commit to a burn rate by, you know, uh, bringing in employees or just internally, I'm like, I need to be at this, you know, MRR number by this date. Those are all internal goals until I flip that switch to make it external pressures. Like you have to do this where you run out of money. <laughs> then it's all driven by myself. And and I think that's a, it's it, for me, it's a weird place to be in. And I, yeah, I just need to make that decision of, is there more that's going to drive it beyond just myself and setting my own goals? Yeah. And I don't think that necessarily means 
doing what I did. You know, the, you don't have to hire people and and ramp up burn rate necessarily to flip that switch. I mean, you can set the goal, make it explicit, and even though it might still be internal, you can be going for it. The other side of it might be to involve some customers in that, you know, and let them know what's coming. Right. And that's, and yeah, just get some outside accountability. That's, that's good. And and not that I'm missing these deadlines, but frankly, the deadlines that I'm placing on myself, there's no real consequence to missing them except for, ah, it would have been nice to get that road earlier, or it would have been nice to get that done earlier. But there's no, like you said, there's no accountability externally right now. So maybe adding that some in could, could help. But sometimes that's a nice place to be too. You know, if it's constant (laughs) pressure, that's no, no, it's, Again, it's like everything. It's a, it's that balance between you're you're so stressed out because you have these deadlines that are just constant and just so aggressive that you can't function because you're so stressed out versus it's, you know, lackadaisical and there's nothing really driving you. And it's just like, yeah, manana. <laughs> it's just yeah, the, the lion and the cow. I mean, are you are you sprinting and, and sleeping or are you constantly grazing? Although cows don't seem to be under too much pressure. <laughs> Cows have it good up until the, you know, the end part. <laughs> hey, I hope that's how I go down too. <laughs> oh, we've gone dark. All right. Anyway. <laughs> what are you into this week? What am I into? You know, I don't, I don't really have anything. I've been, like I said, I've been so heads down with the, the revamp. I'm sure I'll have some exciting stuff to share time to come, but you know, right now I'm just focused on the product. I wish I had some some stuff outside of that, but not not much going on right now with me. Okay, well, I've probably got too much going on then, but but I got a I got a couple here. I think I'm going to go with with something I saw on the interwebs the the Rickroll senior prank that's gone a bit viral. Have you heard about uh, this? I I have not heard about this. Tell me more. It's pretty funny. A, a high school student, I guess, figured out how to hack into both his school's PA system. For announcements, as well as every single projector, TV, and monitor throughout the school. They were all on a centralized media server. I can only imagine where this is going. (laughs) Yeah. So he (laughs) planned out the perfect senior prank. I guess there were a couple buddies involved and they they rickrolled the entire school. And they did it right. They, you know, a senior prank should not be destructive it shouldn't be something that that hurts other people obviously so he he did his due diligence he figured out the perfect time between classes made sure there were no exams or standardized tests going on and he launched the thing and boy did he do it well i mean this wasn't just every monitor and every display and every pa system playing at the same time you couldn't turn it off okay <laughs> so 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 all at once, uh, so was this just, just like the, the projectors that were on at the time and, and over the PA? No, they, they, they had auto on. So all at once, all of these things came on. Everything turned on. Everything turned on. <laughs> that is brilliant. That is <laughs> And awesome. of course, you can picture teachers scrambling to turn them off. Right, At right, which right. point, you know, they turned back on. <laughs> <laughs> so, so cutting power would have been the only way to do it. Wow. And, and I assume that it just, it, he just did it once and then it was done or did it like just stay on the rest of the day? I've got to remember, I'll, I'll post a, a link in the show notes to the article I read about it. He actually published a, a blog post on all this. How oh, I did it. Yeah. So, that's funny. Yeah. I think he did it a couple times. I mean, I think there was the major oh, okay. one and then yeah, if yeah. you just 
throwbacks. <laughs> That's nice. What was the reaction from the school? Did they figure out who it was? That was the best part about the whole thing. And I should say, I, I didn't say this. It wasn't just his school either. I get this was outside of Chicago and it was something like five or six high schools oh, wow. simultaneously, but the district handled it gracefully. I mean, they handled it perfectly. They recognized that there was no true harm done. They recognized that, you know, some security flaws had been uncovered. And so they put it out there, kind of an olive branch and said, Hey, you know, whoever did this, if you confess, there's not going to be a punishment, but we do want to know what happened and how you did it so we can correct course. And ultimately that's what happened. Yeah, no, that's, that's good to hear. And, and I think that, that a, I like that the, the school realized that it was a harmless plank. I think if this, this kid put up different types of content and they can all speculate on what I'm talking about, that would change the conversation. But because it was a fairly innocent, haha, we gotcha type of thing. And like you said, it wasn't disrupting anything major and they, they took it a good stride. So that's good to hear. And that's interesting comparing that to an article that I read the other day when you look at what happened with the state of Missouri. Apparently, down there, there was a government website that was exposing social security numbers of, I think it was teachers, and a reporter came across this. And the way that the, the, this website was exposing it, it was in the source HTML of the website. So like wide open, plain text, social security numbers on the website itself. And the way that the reporter found it is they just looked at the source code of, of the, the website. And you said the, the source, the HTML. I mean, not the HTML the source server. code. Nothing on the server. So like literally on the website, you hit F12, look at the source code, and it's, it's social security numbers are there. So this reporter stumbled across this, decided to write an article about it, did the right thing and notified the appropriate authorities that, hey, you have a really big security problem going on. I'm going to hold the article for a few days, give you a chance to kind of plug this hole. But we are going to run the article saying that this was a, was an issue. And of course, the Missouri governor has come out and said, we're looking at prosecuting this reporter for quote unquote hacking. <laughs> and it's oh, like, no. yeah, it's, it's really bad. And so it's just, it's frustrating when you see stuff like that on how not to handle, honestly, someone that's trying to help going to hold you accountable, you know, because you're the government and saying, you guys did this thing wrong, but you should fix it. And I'm going to let you know, but they, they, you know, they're shooting the messenger. It's unfortunate to see. So huge contrast between the two stories. Yeah. I'll have to follow up on both. We'll post the links to, to them in the show. Yeah. 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 We will. We will. So all right, Chris. Cool. Well, I think that's that's all we got. That's uh, look forward to our conversation next time. And until then, best of luck with your building and all that's going on. Yeah, you too, Sam. Talk to you next week. See ya. <laughs>